You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Looking at the fruit of the Spirit uh, that Paul talks about there uh, in Galatians chapter 5. If you've never really read that, I would encourage you uh, to do that because in that uh, chapter, he kind of uh, talks about, again, the difference between walking in the flesh. And he talks about that there are certain characteristics or behaviors that will manifest, that will show itself uh, and reveal itself that we're walking in the flesh. Uh, it can be, you know, just lustful thoughts. It can be gossip. It can be adultery, murder. He, just, he goes on and he lists a lot of things that will manifest in the life of a person who's walking in the flesh. Um, and then he counters that by talking about uh, the difference between here's what it looks like when we're walking in the Spirit. And then he kind of begins to list these characteristics and attributes that will kind of manifest, will reveal themselves, will give you evidence that you're walking in the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul talks about that the Holy Spirit produces, and we've, you know, again, emphasized this is a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. This is where we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and to do what only he can do. And so when we're walking in the fruit of the Spirit and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to produce this kind of stuff in our lives, the things that you will begin to, to see and to experience, and, and he says there, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. There is no law or there is no limit um, on uh, uh, these things. And so we've uh, so far looked at kind of the um, attribute, the characteristics of love, joy, peace. We talked about uh, patience last week. And this morning, I want to just kind of focus in on the characteristic, that trait of kindness, now, some translations will have the word gentleness or, or goodness in place of kindness simply because some of the qualities of kindness are similar to gentleness and goodness. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses there in Galatians 5.22 is the word krestos, C-H-R-E-S, C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S, and, and I spell that out because it is one letter different from the Greek word Christos, which is where we get our, our English word Christ. There's one letter difference between Christos and Christos. And when the church kind of began back over 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire, they often kind of confused these two words. There's just one letter difference between them. And they kind of thought Christians back in the early church when the church kind of began, they, they kind of just thought Christians were people who just believed in kindness, okay? Christianity was kind of originally known as the kind religion. As a matter of fact, kindness is love in action. Now, it's interesting to me that uh, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says that on judgment day, the one thing that you and I are going to be judged, that we're going to be uh, held accountable for, is how we treated people. Nothing else. Jesus said on the judgment day, it's simply going to come down to the issue, how did you treat other 
people. Jesus said, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you came and you visited me. How we treat other people is the one thing you and I will be judged for that we'll have to give an account for. It's not a feeling. It's something you do. Even in the Old Testament, Micah chapter six, verse eight, listen to what he says. He has shown you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness. Love kindness and mercy and to humble yourself and to walk humbly with your God. It's interesting, you, you cannot walk humbly with your God unless you first humble yourself. And again, as I, I, I felt just really led to pray into that this morning, that the, the scriptures say to us that we humble ourselves before God. It's not something that he's gonna do or force on us, it's something we desire, it's something we choose, it's something that we surrender to and say, I'm gonna humble myself, and in that humbleness, I will be able to walk humbly with my God. As a matter of fact, that Greek word krestos, uh, which is translated as kindness, it's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 30, when he says, my yoke is krestos, it's easy, and my burden is light. Jesus says, my yoke, it's kind, it's easy, it isn't harsh, it isn't cruel, it isn't difficult, it isn't burdensome. The whole idea of this word krestos is, again, it is a goodness which is kind. It shows itself in kindness. One Greek lexicon to find the word krestos as the grace which pervades the whole human nature, mellowing all which would be harsh and stern. So in those places where there's harshness and sternness, God wants to come into those places and God wants to begin to produce or to work in us kindness so that we're not responding out of that harshness, that cruelness, but as we're yielding to the Holy Spirit in those places of harshness, cruelness, and sternness, there just kind of comes this, there's just this kindness that comes forth from us. This word krestos, it's descriptive of one's disposition and attitude, and it doesn't necessarily entail acts of goodness. It will reveal itself in that. And so as we kind of look around us in in today's culture, I mean, I kind of begin to ask myself, what are ways in which I really feel like the church has an opportunity to, to walk in kindness, to express the kindness of God? And God's never gonna say, you know what, it's okay in this situation to be unkind, to be harsh and to be cruel, to be, you know, criticizing, belittling to other people, No. In every situation that we are in, we're called to, to, again, express that kindness, that that love in action. So this morning, I want to kind of just talk about two ways that we can, again, experience the kindness of God. 
These are, these are just a couple of the ways that God will re- reveal his kindness to you. And the first is he understands my weakness. God understands your weaknesses. Understanding and kindness go together. Have you ever recognized that, ever noticed that? Kindness and understanding go together. The more understanding or the more you know of a person, the kinder you're gonna be. That's why it's so easy to be unkind to strangers. You don't know anything about them. But the more you know of someone, the more you kind of know their story, you know their, their history, the kinder you're just going to be. Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 through 16, it says Jesus understands our weaknesses. Since he had the same temptations we do. Though he never once gave way to them and sinned. That's the difference between you and I. We have all faced temptations. Some of those we have overcome, we've withstood. Others of them, we folded like a house of cards and we sinned. Jesus never did. Every temptation that came to Jesus, Jesus withstood it. He came out on the other side of that glorifying God and was victorious. But that doesn't negate his ability to understand your weakness, to understand what it's like to be tempted because he was tempted as we are in all ways. So, Let us come boldly to him. There's that connection. God wants to connect with our hearts this morning. He's not put off by the the temptations that that have sidelined you, the temptations that have gotten the best of you. That invitation in the midst of your weakness, that invitation, come boldly to him and find grace. Not grief, not condemnation, not shame, not judgment. Man, when we come to him, he says, what you'll find, what you'll discover is grace. That's what we need. It may not be what we deserve, but it's what we need. And it's what God gives. And he says, so that we can find help in our time of need. Paul's saying, God isn't shocked He isn't surprised when you're tempted, when you're struggling with temptations. God's not flabbergasted. He's not surprised. He doesn't think less of you. He doesn't even separate himself from you. One of the unfortunate things that really has kind of crept into a a lot of churches is, again, kind of just this feigned response. We Christians tend to have when others acknowledge areas where they're being tempted or maybe have even given in to that temptation and maybe have sinned in certain areas and, and and they share that with us because they're looking for encouragement, they're looking for prayer, they're they're looking for, for help in that. And oftentimes what they find in the church and sometimes among Christians is anything less than helpful. 
Oftentimes they're met with criticism or condemnation or judgment. Last year, Christian author and speaker Josh McDowell was in an Iowa meeting. And he was meeting with a coalition of pastors and church leaders from around the state regarding the use of pornography, especially uh, by Christians. It was very, and it's very pervasive in the church. And so he was trying to kind of bring some light and, and some understanding Um, to this growing epidemic of pornography within the church. And so he started kind of sharing some statistics of just how pervasive the use of pornography is both in the church and outside of the church. And one study found that porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined each month. They said now porn accounts for one-third of all internet traffic. And said more than 91% of men and 60% of women, that this is a growing issue among women now. It kind of used to kind of be, you know, more male than female. And, and they're finding now that women are becoming just as addicted to pornography as men. And he went on to share that 79% of men, 76% of women, ages 18 to 30, again, notice how those percentages, very, very close, is no longer just a guy issue. Ages 18 to 30 view pornography at least once a month. 64% of young people, ages 13 to 24, actively seek out pornography. 60 to 72% of men, 24 to 30% of women in the church identify themselves as sex addicts. 57% of pastors and church staff admit they struggle with porn. So after Josh McDowell kind of got done sharing that very final statistic there regarding pastors and church staff and their use of porn, There was a very prominent pastor of a very large church here in Iowa who was a part of that uh, group meeting there with Josh McDowell. And following that very last statistic, he made the following statement. He said, that's why I tell my pastoral and church staff that if you are ever caught with or viewing pornography, you will be fired immediately. There were a lot of pastors in the room that kind of nodded their head in like agreement or affirmation or like, yeah, I would do the same thing. However, Josh McDowell had a very, very different response. Josh McDowell walked over and he stood right in front of that pastor and looked him right in the eye And he said, with all due respect, it's pastors like you and churches like yours that are doing the greatest damage in both addressing and bringing healing to the body of Christ with regards to the addictive use of pornography. He said, all you're doing by taking the stance that you have taken 
is driving those who are caught in that trap of Satan, and that's what it is. All you're doing is driving those who are caught up in the trap of pornography deeper and deeper into their addiction and their isolation. You're telling them that rather than being open and honest about their struggles and offering them hope and freedom from their addiction to pornography, you're telling them that if they wish to keep their jobs, they better continue to hide their problems because the church is too weak to deal with them. I believe Josh McDowell was right. When the church sends the message, we have no tolerance, no hope, no forgiveness, no restoration, no redemption to people who were caught up in sins, any sins. All we're gonna do is drive those who are struggling deeper and deeper into their secrecy, their isolation, and their addictions. When we as a church, when we as a a body of Christ, when we as believers kind of get this holier-than-thou attitude, and it's a religious mindset is what it is, I'm better than you. I'm more spiritual than you. I'm up here. You're down here. I can't even even begin to understand what you're thinking, what you're going through, what you're feeling. Again, it's a holier-than-thou attitude. And, And when the church takes that on, and we act again like, you know, we're above it all, and we don't ever struggle with anything, again, it just creates a very unsafe place for people to be open and to be honest about the issues in their lives. And they're not able to get the help, they're not able to get the accountability, the encouragement, the prayer support they need to be able to be an overcomer. And when that holier-than-thou mindset really begins to become very pervasive in the church, A lot of sin issues just get buried. Because we've been trained to be shocked, dismayed, and perplexed when people are honest about temptation and sin in their lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 makes an interesting observation. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Now get that. The temptations in your life are no different than every other person in this room. That's what Paul's saying. And yet, what does he say? God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Again, you go back and look at the temptations of Jesus. Every response Jesus gave was God's provision of a way out of that. And Jesus took it. And so every temptation you face as you're in that moment, if you'll just take time to pause and to ask God, what is the way of escape? Where's the exit door on this? He'll provide it. 
And then again, it's up to us. Am I going to take that exit door out of this temptation, or am I going to allow this temptation to take me into sin? You know what the devil wants you to think regarding the things you're tempted with? You're the only one who struggles with that. You're the oddball. You're the weirdo. You're unique in that no one else has ever thought what you're thinking about. No one has ever been tempted with what you're being tempted with. And if you go and start telling someone what you're being tempted to do, they're just going to think you're so weird. They're going to think there's something wrong with you. So you better just be quiet. So we just struggle in isolation. We struggle in secrecy because no one will understand what I'm going through. No one will understand what I'm thinking, what I'm struggling with. And Paul simply says, that's not true. Every temptation you have ever faced is not unique to you. Every Christian that has lived before you would say, been there, thought that. Been there, dealt with that. That's what Paul's kind of saying there. Paul's saying, you've been tempted with that? So have I. Man, brother, sister, you're struggling with that? Paul would say, so have I. There's no temptation in life that is unique to you. Jesus has been tempted by all the things we have been and will be tempted with. He just never gave in to them. God provided that way of escape and Jesus took it. And the promise of verse, and the promise of that verse there is whenever you're tempted, God has made, he's already created a way of escape so that you don't have to fall into that temptation and sin. And that way of escape, it may just be another believer who comes alongside you, someone who maybe just, you know, you kind of come, uh, you come to someone's mind and they call you. Hey, how are you doing? That, that's God's way of escape. Hey, oh man, so glad you called. This is like a God moment because I'm really struggling here right now. I really could use some prayer right now. Or maybe, you know, God is bringing someone to mind for you. And you're kind of in the midst of something, and all of a sudden, you just have this strong impression of this individual. God may be using you to be of a way of escape for that person. So just be aware of that. You know, I've had that happen where I'm kind of in the midst of something that's just you know, so unrelated to anything spiritual. You ever have those moments you're like cleaning the garage, it's the most unspiritual thing you can think of and you're not having any spiritual thoughts at all because you just feel like there's nothing spiritual about this? And I'll kind of be in the midst of a very unspiritual kind of you know, responsibility or duty and all of a sudden I'll just kind of, this person will come to mind very, very strongly. And I know that that's the Holy Spirit. He's bringing that person to mind. He wants me to pray for them or he wants me to call him or her and just encourage them. Because again, what, what God may be using you in that moment is you're that person's way of escape. 
They're struggling with something one, or something. They need you to call, to reach out, and to just be there to pray for them, to encourage them. And that way of escape, it just, you know, it, it may be, uh, again, someone who just holds you accountable, someone who just kind of comes and begins to speak the word of God into your life. Someone who loves you. My point being, when you're going through a weakness, a temptation, a problem, you want to be with somebody who understands, right? Uh, again, understanding and kindness go together. And so when you're struggling and you're going through a difficult thing in life, you kind of want to be around people who understand you, who love you, who know a little bit about your story, your history. Because in that, they're just going to tend to be kinder to you. When Jesus came to the earth, the Bible says he was tempted at every point as we are. And so when you come and say, God, I'm struggling in this area of kind of impure or, or lustful thoughts, God will never say to you, knock it off. Man, what's wrong with you? You'll never hear God say that. When you're struggling with temptation or you're struggling with weaknesses in life and you come to God, you know what God's gonna say? Been there, done that. Here's a way of escape. Here's a way to get through that. And out of his understanding, his personal experience, God walked this earth in human flesh. He had a human body. He was 100% man and 100% God. And in that 100% man, he experienced temptations and difficulties and struggles. He's not like way up here and we're down here. No, we're, we're on the same level ground as Jesus was when he walked upon the earth. And in those places of temptation, of weakness, Jesus says, I understand. I've been there. I know what you're going through. And just as my father provided a way of escape for me, I'm gonna provide a way of escape for you too. It's how I overcame, it's how you'll overcome. And again, it's out of that understanding, that experiencing of our weaknesses that he's kind. Galatians chapter six, verses one through two says this, if someone is overcome by sins, you who are godly, that's a call, that's a call to the mature. That is a call to the mature Christians. Man, we play a role. We have a place in the life of struggling people who were overcome by their sins. You who are godly, you who are mature, should gently, humbly help him, her back onto the right path, remembering that the next time it might be one of you in the wrong place. Share each other's troubles and problems. This is how mature believers, this is how a mature church reacts 
It's how we respond to people who are caught up in sin, to people who are struggling. When people are having a tough time dealing with issues, having problems, and they've got weaknesses, and they're being tempted, we need to be gentle, and we need to be kind with them. Why? Because God is gentle and kind with us. He's understanding of our weaknesses. We need to be understanding of the weaknesses of others as well. That's one way that Jesus shows and extends kindness to us, and we can extend and show kindness to others. I'm gonna leave it there this morning. The second point would be is that one of the ways that Jesus, uh, again, uh, reveals and shows his kindness, demonstrates his kindness to us, is that he affirms our worth. He affirms our worth. That we are made, that we are created in the image of God. And that we are more valuable to him than any other thing in all creation. Do you know that? It's always interesting to me when you go back and look at, you know, creation. You know, every day that that God spoke in, in creation, he just spoke it. You know, let there be light, boom, there was light, and let there be, you know, fish, and let there be trees, and let there be, you know, uh, whatever God was creating in creation. He just spoke it, and it was. Let there be, and then there was. Now, what's interesting is when it comes to creation, when, when God created mankind, it says that he, he didn't just speak that, but that he actually took dust from the earth And he began to kind of shape and mold that. And then he breathed his very breath of life into that lump of clay, that pile of dirt. Says he he breathed his life into that and we became a living being. He doesn't do that with any other part of creation. He just spoke it and it was. But man, when it came to you and I, we bear the fingerprints of God because we are more valuable to him than any other part of creation. And in that, he wants to affirm our worth, our significance, our value to him. It's one of the things I love, and I'm gonna close with this in Psalm 139. It it says that that God's thoughts concerning us are precious. When God thinks of you, every thought God has concerning you is precious. Let that sink over your heart. Because some of you, I have this feeling, you kind of think when God thinks of you, God thinks about your sin. God thinks about the things that you're doing and saying that are wrong. That, that, That God's just obsessed on that, that God's just dwelling on that constantly. God's calling to affirm your worth. But no, David says, every thought that God has concerning you is precious. 
And so sometimes just in that, in that connecting our heart with the heart of God, sometimes just ask God, hey God, would you reveal to me those precious thoughts you think concerning me? And, and he says they're vast. So the, the, you, they're, 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 you can't number the precious thoughts God thinks concerning you. That tells me we can start now and for, the, and for the rest of our lives, however long that may be, God would just have nothing but one precious thought after another precious thought after another precious thought. God would never run out of precious thoughts that he thinks concerning you. That's how much he loves you. That's how kind he is. That's his goodness. So I just encourage you this week, you know, just take some time, and in connecting with God's heart, just ask him, God, what are those precious thoughts you think towards me? Can, can you just share those with me, God? Because God, oftentimes, I, 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 I struggle thinking precious thoughts about me. All of us do, we all struggle thinking precious thoughts about ourselves. A lot of times it's, it's the voice of accusation, it's condemnation, it's guilt, it's shame. It, it's not precious. And yet when it comes to you and God's thoughts towards you, his feelings toward you, they're all precious. And they can't be numbered because there's so many. That is the heart of God towards you and towards me. And in all of that, you will encounter the kindness of God. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, we again just thank you. I thank you again, Lord, for that beautiful promise that whenever you think of me, whenever you think of anyone here in this room this morning, that every thought you have of them is precious. Father, there may be those here this morning that are really struggling with that this morning. They're maybe kind of thinking about themselves and the last thing that really they're having thoughts are that they're precious. And so God, this morning I just really believe, God, that you just wanna begin to, to come and to begin to work That, God, you want to replace those thoughts that they're thinking, those thoughts of guilt and condemnation, of shame, of inadequacy. Maybe they're lacking self-worth this morning. And, and, God, you just want to begin to work in those places. That by your living waters, God, that you want to just begin to come and, and to fill us by your Holy Spirit. That you want to begin to wash away those things. those things that keep us locked and bound, those things that keep us from experiencing all that you have for us this morning. And so Father, this morning we just invite you into this place, into our weaknesses. We invite you into our temptations We invite you into our humiliations because we know you understand and we know you're kind.
Father, I pray, Lord, again, as Galatians 6 there says, that, Lord, we as a church would grow in depth, that we would grow in our experience of you, that, God, we would be maturing to such a degree that, Father, when people are coming and they're struggling, Father, that we would be able to gently, to kindly restore them. That's what we want to be known as. We want to be a church of restoration. We want to be a church that are burden lifters. And so, Father, this morning, we just pray, Lord, For those who are struggling, I pray for those who are godly, who are mature. That, Father, we can come into those places, God, and we can begin to bring life and hope. So, Father, this morning, we just again thank you for your kindness to us. We know the scripture says, Lord, that when you sent your son, Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago, that was one of the greatest acts of kindness. So, Father, this morning, as you have sent your kindness to us in the person of Jesus Christ, Father, I pray if there are any here this morning who don't know Jesus, that, God, they would come to know that his yoke is kind, it is easy, his burden is light. And, Lord, you just simply call us to repent, to confess our sins, that you are just and faithful to cleanse us and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. And that goes for those who don't know you and those who do. So, Father, we just thank you for the ways that your kindness has been made available to us here this morning. Father, I pray you'll help us just to access that this morning, to step into that in whatever way we need to this morning. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just... You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.